Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. It is Thursday, December twenty or December first, twenty twenty one. I was almost gonna say December twenty twenty two. Crazy. Where did the time go? Anyways, Mark Daly here, welcoming you all and my good friend, Mr. Mark Hamilton, sitting here across from me in our virtual studio with a, with a big, that's like a big contented smile you have on your face, my friend. Uh, what's going on? What's Are you just happy that Friday's almost here? You ready to get your weekend on? Is that, is that what's oh, going on oh, here? Oh, am I? And my friend, I, I, hate, <laughs> am I? <laughs> I hate to kick off a show with a, a bit of Parents Corner, but my wife is away for a couple of days, so it's just me and my five-year-old, who by the way, we're sitting here recording this at 10 p.m. He's somewhere in the house doing something. But uh, before we got started, <laughs> I was I was brushing his teeth. And as all good parents do, uh, when we brush his teeth, we lie him down on the bed and hold him down by pressing down on his forehead while he flings his limbs around. And I'm, I'm like scrubbing his teeth and scrubbing his teeth. And he's kicking and screaming more than normal. And I realized later that I may have brushed his teeth with sunscreen lotion, <laughs> which oh. wouldn't actually be <laughs> the first time. So I, I tried to make up for it by giving him a uh, bowl of candy and uh, have him watching Hotel Transylvania on, the, there you on go. the bed in the master bedroom. So that's how my evening's been, my friend. What about you? Well... I was just going to say, if that didn't uh, sort of seal the deal for the Father of the Year award in your favor, then <laughs> then nothing will, obviously. But yeah, you know, it's it's been it's it's been a regular evening around here. You know, fighting with the kids to get to get them to do their homework and to clean up their crap because you know our house is like a time capsule. People like will take a book or a plate of food or a glass or clothing, and it literally gets like dropped and never gets picked up again. And I refuse to pick up other people's crap as does my wife and i mean you can you can literally chart the course of my children's lives in this house just by going through the various piles of stuff and when they got you know i'm pretty sure that's been here since like april that uh you know those sneakers they've been there since july like that i don't even know what's on that plate but that's been there for a good couple of months because you know whatever used to be on there is long since degraded or <laughs> turned to dust, you know, but anyways, that's just, uh, I'm not bitter. I'm definitely not bitter or angry. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. Anyways, we didn't, we didn't come on the, uh, on the show tonight to complain about, uh, anything like that or the ups and downs of the family. Like we're here to complain about formula one, I guess, I guess that's kind of what we do sometimes. Or talk about the goods and the bad and everything uh, in between, but yeah, it's definitely uh, some some things to talk about this week. And the big one, Mattia Bonato, no longer with for uh, with the uh, Ferrari. He's been there for what almost thirty years, twenty five plus years. Started out as an engineer, 
ended up as a team principal the last uh, couple of seasons and kind of oversaw the turnaround that we've seen from you know, they, they were definitely headed in the wrong direction a couple of seasons ago. He's got them pointed back in the right direction and ultimately fell quite a bit short of the mark this year in 2022. Looked like they might be uh, challengers for one or both of the uh, the world championships, but uh, obviously that didn't turn out. And this is news that, of course, it's big news, but there was a lot of smoke with that fire for what, uh, about a week or 10 days. And of course, that uh, tweet that Ferrari made, I guess, about a week or 10 days ago saying there's absolutely nothing to these rumors that we are going to part ways with Mattia Bonato and his replacement is already confirmed behind the scenes and definitely will not be starting here at the beginning of uh, January 2023. That certainly didn't age well because that's pretty much exactly what happened, which what they were denying wasn't going to happen. So there's that as well. But uh, big news, Mark. Absolutely big news when you have a something like this break at a big team like Ferrari. Yeah, I'm very much ready to talk about this. In fact, I've already talked about this. And if you haven't checked it out, I did an emergency podcast with Tim Haraney of the TSN Racing Pod a couple of days ago. And we spent about half an hour getting into this. And it's funny because some of the things that I shared on that podcast in terms of my opinion on the subject um, have only since I've only actually been reinforced since then based on some news and some development. But my friend, you're not beating around the bush at all. We're going right through the news topics, right going through right at it corner this and jumping right into the right story. To but it. I think uh, I think we can probably circle back to that. But I think this is a great place to start because it's probably the biggest story of the week and we don't want to bury it. But my opinion on this is it is a, and I'm going to cut to the chase on this. I think it's a colossal mistake on on behalf of Ferrari, and I absolutely get the the frustration that the Tafosi had and that Ferrari fans had this year with some of their incredibly unforced errors. Whether it was the driver, whether it was strategy, whether it was reliability issues, I get all of that. But I think the challenge is, and this goes back to something that Tim Haraney said on our podcast earlier this year. If not Matteo Bonato, then who? Like you said, this is a guy that's been with that organization for 28 years. He came there straight out of school as an engineer in 1995. He was the chief technical officer. He was a technical director. He's worked in virtually every department at that factory. He understands the politics and the complexities of one of the biggest racing organizations on the planet. And to simply to simply let him go, push him out the door, is remarkable given the fact that the, the senior leadership at Ferrari, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that in John Elkan um, and Vigna, they, they have no... They have no specific replacement. In fact, I don't think they even have a replacement in mind. And I think a lot of this goes back to the expectations that Ferrari may have had for 2022. And a lot of the senior leadership within that organization had said, look, 2021 is a write-off. It's the last year of the turbo hybrid era in terms of the regulations as we knew them. It was a building year. Let's get to 2022 when the new regulations are out there. And 2022, let's start winning races. And you know, you and I talked about this, that in 21... Ferrari was very much trying to temper expectations of 22, very much trying to temper expectations because I don't think that internally they really had any expectations that they would be contending for a championship. But I think what happened at the beginning of this season was actually really damaging to Ferrari and to Matteo Bonato. And that 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 is that they got off to a really good start, but they got off to a really good start in in the way that 
Red Bull got off to a really bad start. And I think what we saw early on was artificial and it wasn't sustainable. And that you look at the look at the DNFs that that Red Bull suffered at the beginning of the season, they were DNFs related to a common component in the car that they buy from a shared supplier. And it was just bad luck. They also had a very, very significantly overweight car at the beginning of the year. And that was something they were going to be able to solve. So I think what we saw at the beginning of the year were some phantom performances and it was great and it was sexy and it was so cool to see Charles Leclerc have a 40 plus point lead in the driver's championship. But anyone who understood the technical, the technical nuances of the championship knew that that probably wasn't going to be sustainable. And I don't think that Ferrari, even if you put aside all their unforced errors this year, were ever going to be able to compete with Red Bull. And I think Matteo Bonato's future, as it's turned out, as we've discovered, was probably probably already in question a year ago. And there was a report, and we can talk about this in a couple of minutes, but there's a report that came out that John Elkin, who's the executive chairman of the broader Ferrari group, um, and the CEO, ben, Bendetto Vigna, sorry, I always get that name wrong, Bendetto Vigna, um, who's the CEO, like I said, who actually just came to this organization a little over a year ago, that the mm-hmm. two of them were shopping for a replacement for Matteo Bonato a year ago. And it's reported that they'd approached Andreas Seidel last year at this time wow. and that they'd approached Christian Horner last year at this time about assuming this job. And of course, nobody is nobody's going to sign up for this poisoned role. Nobody's going to sign up for Ferrari knowing that they're openly discussing the availability of the the team principal role while somebody's under contract actively. So I think I think Matteo in this was a resignation. It wasn't a firing, but I think he he jumped before he push was pushed. And I think it really comes down to the fact that the executive chairman and the CEO had no faith in him. And like I said on Tim's show, or Tim said on his show a couple of days ago, this this feels like one of those situations in the NBA or the NFL or Major League Baseball where you get a new team president and he wants to put in place his own general manager and you get a new general manager and he wants to put in place his own head coach. And I think in this case, especially with Vigna, the CEO who only came in a year and a half ago, this is a matter of them wanting to get their own guy there, somebody new. And it's it's particularly remarkable that this is a guy in Bonato who could survive the the cheating scandal of 20. I shouldn't call it cheating because it was just a secret agreement, quote unquote, secret agreement between the FIA and Ferrari in 2019 around the engine regulations and some of the funny stuff that was happening there. But he survives that. But a year and a half later, they're openly shopping for uh, a replacement. So it's a remarkable situation, remarkable nonetheless, because they clearly don't have somebody in mind. And it's probably going to be Frederick Vasseur at Sauber, uh, because of mm-hmm. course, Sauber is undergoing a new ownership change. And Audi will be assuming more and more of an ownership stake in that team over the next three years. So that's likely where he's going to probably go. And then a report that came out today now actively links Matteo Bonato with Audi and that he's in open discussions about assuming a role at Audi. So it sounds like Matteo Bonato will probably land on his feet. But I think that this is a, a big blow for Ferrari because even if they are able to bring somebody over who can assume that team principal role in an in instant, this is somebody that will have no relationships or or 
uh, experience managing the sheer complexity and scale of the Ferrari operation at Marinello. And that's going to put the team back. And the other challenge is when you come over to Ferrari, it's not just that you're managing a Formula One racing team, but you're you're deeply entrenched in the politics associated with the road car division. But furthermore, yeah. you're part of an operation that builds power units. If Vasseur comes over, he's, he's used to operating and managing a super small, compact racing team. This is the biggest racing team in the world, arguably, that also creates power units, which is directly adjacent to a road car division, which is part of a much bigger complex political um, economic consortium. This is this is a terrible move for Ferrari, and I hope they land on their feet, but I can't help but think this is going to push them back six to 18 months. Well, didn't uh, Enzo Ferrari say way back in the day that uh, Ferrari is a racing team that also builds road cars or so- yes. something like that? Something, uh, you know, I, I'm paraphrasing, but it, it is, uh, it's interesting. If you read the release that uh, Bonato uh, made in news of this uh, resignation, he said, quote, I am leaving a company that I love, which I have been a part of for 28 years with the serenity that, that comes from the conviction that I have made every effort to achieve the objectives set. I leave a united and growing team, a strong team, ready, I'm sure, to achieve the highest goals to which I wish all the best for the future. I think it is right to take this step at this time, as hard as this decision has been for me. I would like to thank all the people at Gestenioni Sportiva who have shared this journey with me, made up of difficulties but also of great satisfaction, end quote. But, you know, I think the key part in there says, the, 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 I'm leaving a company that I love, which I've been part of for 28 years. 28 years. Let that sink in for a moment. He's been there, done that. He's got the, the, the T-shirt. He's got the DVD. He's got the, 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 he's got everything, right? He's seen that he's done it all. And somebody that comes in from the outside will just, you know, they're going to be thrown into the deep end. And and how do you even begin to fathom the organization and all the nuance, twists and turns and all the, the politics internally and externally that is uh, Ferrari? I mean, who would <laughs> who's equipped to take that role on uh, Hammy and who I don't would know. want to, you know, who would want, who would to, take want that? to? Yeah, that's, exactly. That's Great exactly point. It. Great point. I mean, ultimately, think about it this way, too, that he is being, and I know this is a resignation, but if the resignation didn't happen, he was possibly going to be pushed out or he was very aware that he was going to be pushed out. But this is a team that finished second in the championship. So when you talk about John Elkin and you talk about Vina, the CEO and the chairman, if second place in both of the championships isn't sufficient to retain your job... What are you signing up for? You're signing up for a job that will require you to be a championship, not contender, but you will be expected to win the championships next year. The only Now, the only other piece that I should add to this, and we talked about it a little bit over the last couple of weeks, is it is widely reported in the French press especially that there was significant discord between Charles Leclerc and and Matteo Bonatos really stemming back to the fiasco that was uh, that was the Ferrari performance at Silverstone earlier this year, and of course Carlos Sainz won that race, but he ultimately had a favorable pit call that didn't go 
that didn't go Charles Leclerc's way. And Charles Leclerc was leading that race, was asked to stay out. They had a late safety car. Carlos Sainz was asked to pit. He got on fresh tires, actually won the race, and Leclerc didn't even finish on the podium. And of course, there was that very animated moment in the paddock afterwards where uh, Matteo Bonato was caught on camera wagging his finger in a very frustrated Charles Leclerc's face. And the report was that Charles Leclerc and Matteo Bonato had not been on speaking terms since that day, so six plus months. So the reality is, if Ferrari was shopping for a replacement for Bonato last year, he ultimately got a one-year reprieve because they couldn't find his replacement. And then all of a sudden, the team's most marketable driver in Charles Leclerc has a complete breakdown in relationship with the team principal that may have been that may have been the writing on the wall and like i said earlier i think this is a kind of a, a situation where he jumped before he was pushed uh before it mm-hmm. got too messy before he was exited himself um he'll probably be on gardening leave for six months as these things go but i would uh i would expect that he's going to be a highly sought individual because like you said he's been there for 28 years and don't forget as well he was there during the super team of ross braun and and Jean Todd and Michael Schumacher and Kimi Reich. like he was there for some real real glory days but unfortunately he's not going to be there much longer and now this is a team that how many team principals is this in the last decade man five like it's it's absurd <laughs> how many people they churn yeah. through Oh, I I know. I was just uh, looking at it uh, b- beforehand. I mean, uh, before him, you had uh, Maurizio Arriva Bene. Then you had Stefano Domenicali, who's now the. Well, I mean, look, look, we just did the last two where they ended up. Uh, Domenicali is now the CEO of Formula One. Arriva Bene went uh, on to become the CEO of Juventus, one of the biggest uh, soccer clubs in Italy, one of the biggest clubs in Europe. I mean, that's uh, that that's just uh, amazing, right there. But I, you know, w- one thing that kind of like comes back to me, like. Um, like you were saying a little bit earlier, is that they got off to a really good start to this season and Red Bull struggled. And I, I wonder how that really plays into the equation because they were saying a year ago that, you know, we're not going to be really competitive for another two, three years down exactly, the road. They, exactly, they weren't looking at, you know, they weren't looking at being competitive this year, winning races and being in that championship conversation. They were saying, we're looking at maybe 23 at the earliest. So if, if that was, you know, the messaging that's coming down from from the top, and you finish second in both championships, then what really is the beef? Like, like what is the problem, the issue that they have with uh, with uh, Benotto? I mean, is it like you say? It's just you know, you got a new CEO in place, and he wants his own guy running the uh, running the team. Like, le- like what is it? Is is it is it just a clash of personalities? Is it a, a lack of a a common defined vision? You know. It's there, there's so many more questions left unanswered than are answered, and I can't help but wonder. You know, if I'm the CEO at Audi, I'm like, yeah, let's get on the horn to this Bonato fellow because he's kind of the guy that would be an ideal fit for our Formula One program. Maybe he's not the guy that we hire, but you know, you would not be doing your due diligence if you don't talk to this guy about this you know the the role that they have for their team coming online here and then entering formula one in 26 dude this is i'm so casual on this podcast i'm like dude bro homie what's up um <laughs> i i now know where where parsa your your little guy gets it from his language his, yeah, from, yeah, oh, baby. Totally, totally yeah <laughs> this by the way this wasn't even the biggest story in the italian sporting press this week are you familiar with the gigantic soccer story that erupted out of Italy this week, which, by the way, is for not even not even just Ferrari adjacent, but directly Ferrari linked. 
No, actually, so, I've been so insanely so let busy me, this week, let and me I'm share this. so out of touch. The share entire Let's board of directors, the, and you're going to have to make sure my pronunciation here is correct, but the entire board of directors at Juventus, is that how you say the club, the soccer yeah, club? Juventus. Yep, yeah, the yep. entire board of directors at Juventus, including the club's president, Andrea Anelli, and CEO Maurizio Arrivabene, have resigned over charges of massive false accounting. A statement from the Italian soccer club said Monday, the decision to collectively resign came after an extraordinary meeting was held Monday after quote unquote, new and accounting opinions from independent experts were obtained. The Serie A team's financial statements underwent scrutiny by prosecutors and Italian market regulator consorb in recent months for alleged false accounting and market manipulation. The company has denied any wrongdoing, but the entire board, including a river, uh, including Maurizio Arrivabene has resigned. And the other thing that as a, as a result of this, of course, is that club has ownership links to Ferrari as a whole. But the Italian press as of a few hours ago is now alive with the thoughts of Maurizio making a triumphant return to Ferrari, which he led headfirst into the FIA cheating scandal in 2016, although he was effectively <laughs> gone by that point. So it's crazy how all of these different stories intersect. But uh, again, to kind of recap, so we can go back to the beginning of the podcast outline, uh, I think this is a bad, I think this is a big mistake, but it's clear that yeah. the senior leadership at Ferrari had no faith in Maurizio, or Maurizio, in uh, Mattia Bonato. Well, clearly, they, they, <laughs> they didn't have faith in either of them, I guess. Uh, I guess is the the, the, the big, uh, you know, the point, right? But yeah, where do they go from here? I mean, they, they have real... <laughs> real confidence in themselves if they went both to uh, Andrea Seidel and especially Christian Horner, especially Christian Horner reportedly or allegedly to try and woo him to go over to Ferrari. And I mean, if, if you're Christian Horner, do you really want to leave Red Bull and go to the, um, the, 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 I would have don't want to say dumpster fire, but the less than optimal, <laughs> you know, situation at, at, at Ferrari. I mean, I, I just uh, I, I can't see Christian Horner going to Ferrari any more than I could see Total Wolf going anywhere else other than Mercedes, regardless of the fact that he has ownership stakes in 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 the the, the Mercedes Formula One team. It just doesn't uh, just doesn't make sense to me. It just doesn't compute. But it's like you know, are they going to do? Because I mean, they got a Riva Bene. He was CEO at Philip Morris International before he became team principal at Ferrari. Are they going to do the same thing? Bring in somebody that's completely from outside, not only the team, but outside the sport of Formula One to try and manage this thing? Maybe. I don't know. Like, like what options? I don't, I don't know if there's anybody really wanting to jump into that. I mean, maybe Fred Vasseur at Sauber does. But, you know, like you so correctly pointed out, he's used to running a fairly small, compact racing team with a very limited uh, budget and, uh, and way of doing things. And then to go from that, from Sauber Alfa Romeo to, to Ferrari, I mean, that's two completely different beasts. I mean, who, who, who could and who would want to manage this beast? I, I don't know. Not very names are popping to the top of my mind. All right. Well, that's good. Let's uh, still plenty more to talk about. So let's just uh, park it here for a moment. We're going to take a very quick break. And when we come back on the other side, we'll uh, keep going with the rest of the news uh, from this week. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. 
The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights and more. Whether you're into speed, power or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. Welcome back to the show. Mark Daly, Mark Hamilton here. Where we, Hammy, we devoted nearly 20 minutes to the uh, Mattia Bonato story and uh, Ferrari. That's like basically taken up uh, 50% of our, our show notes here. So l- let's just go back to the, uh, you know, I, I was so like, Keen I'm to talk glad. about this one because we haven't we haven't had a chance to, no, uh, a to really talk to about uh, too much, uh, you know, uh, you know. To, to before I just put the cart before the horse and uh, kind of like uh, jumped right over uh, everything else. So um, we had a couple of things that we wanted to address. Uh, we did our off-topic show last weekend, which was a lot of fun. I don't think we mentioned Formula One once. Nope. Although maybe a couple of times uh, tangentially. That was really kind of fun to do something uh, completely different. Apparently, you've got a chicken sandwich question that uh, that you want to share or well, that, it was that, one that of came the- up that we'd have. The- it was one of the big questions for the show when we didn't get to it. So... My, my answer to that, and I am a huge aficionado of chicken sandwiches. I love a good chicken sandwich. I like to make them. I like to buy them. I like to consume them. My favorites are <laughs> up here in Canada. Uh, we recently got Popeyes. In fact, there are now two yeah. locations within just a couple of kilometers of my house. So thank you to the Popeyes conglomerate for making that a reality for me. We also recently had- I a- mean, the, the the newest one is like literally right across the street from your house. Dude, I can almost see it, which is, which is ridiculous. <laughs> and then we also have a chain up here in Canada I, that I think actually started in Newfoundland that, that's now opened coast oh, to coast called Mary, Mary Browns. Mary Browns? Yes. yes. Have, have you I've tried Mary tried Browns? It. I haven't tried it yet. I've I mean, Popeyes. Good. I mean, their chicken sandwich is outstanding, but I've heard good things about the Mary Brown's one, but I haven't been able to, I haven't checked it out yet, but I think they have a restaurant fairly close around here in tri Yeah, right where across we live. from Costco in Port Coquitlam. Oh man, we're getting that's so it, That's it. That's it. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> I love it. That's okay. So my favorite three, and I'm, I'm going to cop out. I don't have a favorite, but my favorite three are Popeyes, Mary Brown's, and then there is a Saudi, there is a Saudi, um, chicken place, fast food chicken place called Al Bake, um, which is excellent. So for me, the top three, and I kind of juggle it around, uh, Al Bake, Mary Brown's, and Popeye. So an American, a Canadian, and a, a Saudi uh, chicken place. 
Do you have a favorite or is this not necessarily up your, up your, pal- up your street? Do you have a more refined palate than I do? <laughs> perhaps but i'm gonna go with uh with popeyes yeah yes. I, I, I love that chicken sandwich but, you know just to, based on the fact that it's 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 easy for me to make that choice because all the other ones i've tried at different places i you know i just can't compare them the KFC but also i have so bad man the others are so yeah. bad I know, right? And I, I haven't tried the Mary Brown's one, and I haven't been to Saudi Arabia, so I haven't been able to try their take on a chicken sandwich yet. But yet another reason to make yep. a trip to that. Uh, hey, KFC's part of not the, a sponsor, right? Or we're gonna have to edit this. They, well, if they are, they're not anymore after this segment. <laughs> uh, anyways, of course, uh, one thing we forgot to, to do off the top of the show is give a shout out to our good friend JT the Human for that fantastic uh, opener that we have for, for the show. That just gets me in the mood every time we hit, me too. Uh, me too. hit the record button, just uh, puts me in the right uh, headspace. Um, again, we announced the uh, the winners of our Fantasy League Um do you have the names off the top of? Uh, we, yeah, we announced I it do, last I week. Do, We're absolutely. waiting to hear back from a couple of people so we can get you your prizes. So, Andy, uh, thanks for reaching out. You finished not only first in our pool, but as you called out, you finished twenty sixth globally. So, out of the millions of people that competed in the F one, the official F one fantasy pool, you finished twenty sixth globally. Uh, and of course, you won our pool. To Aaron K and Whitman R, I haven't heard from either of you. Please reach out via Twitter DM or via the show email or reach out to me personally via Twitter, Instagram, however you're comfortable. I want to make sure that we can arrange to get your prizes. Andrew, your subscription to Race Weekend, it should be hitting within the next couple of weeks, depending on how quickly Amazon ships. Uh, And also, I'm working on a secondary prize for you as well, which I'll reach out to talk to you about. Awesome. Um, another couple of things here. Oh, some upcoming guests. We have Sam Cooper from Planet F1 will be coming on the show to talk uh, about, obviously, Formula One. Ed Spencer will be joining us soon. And Charbel will be coming back uh, for a repeat uh, performance to talk about uh, Power Units 102 after the Power Units 101 that you guys got together for a couple of months ago. Uh, I think it was back in August. And then one other miscellaneous uh, piece of news, Logan Sargent, the, uh, the American who will drive for Williams next year, will rock number two on his car which is uh, which is pretty cool and finally and the, these ones the, the little sort of fast facts and the little hits here in the uh, i guess we can uh, throw this under the uh, the category of see what they did there gunther steiner the team principal at Haas f1 is going to release his first book surviving to drive available to pre-order soon so see what i mean see what he did there and that will definitely be a book club we actually got confirmation with bird today we will definitely be treating that as a book club now before you jump into the really cool fun stats corner one thing as well and i I realized i may have sent you an older outline i just wanted to quickly shout out a bunch of awesome listeners who took time to recognize that we were amongst their favorite spotify podcast listens. so shout out danny i'm just going to scroll through the feed danny thank you so much for sharing much appreciated we love the support. Uh, To Michael Stewart, as always, my friend, like you said, second year in a row, we topped your most downloaded on Spotify. I love it. Javier Ramos, thank you so much. Almira Ishmael from Vancouver, BC, thank you so, so much. Um, Ava at Super Ava, thank you so much for sharing. Joe Santucci, my friend, thank you so much for sharing. I love it. 
Joe, yep. And there's more and more and more. And I think I've missed a whole bunch of them. So to everyone else that I did miss, my feed is proving a little bit problematic. Thank you so much for the support. Thank you for sharing. Uh, it makes both of us so, so happy to see that. And we love to be able to retweet all, all the love and praise. So thank you to everyone yeah, that shared. And thank you to everyone that continues to listen. And we usually save this for the end. If you listen on Spotify, if you'd love to give us a rating in app, it takes just a couple of seconds. Uh, that would be equally as awesome. Yeah, fantastic. And, and thank you for all the love and support, guys. It really does mean the, the, the world to us. And the big reason why we come and do this uh, a couple of times every week. Okay, fun stats corner. I love how this gets like a, like a yellow fluorescent <laughs> highlight. In the- <laughs> it used to be one chart and now it's two pages. Well, not only that, but the font uh, is bigger, it's bold-faced, and now it's highlighted. Just uh, Well, I'm going to miss it if it's not, so this is a, a me thing more than anything. But from motorsport.com, in the last 10 years, Ferrari has 23 wins. In the same time period, Max has 25, so wow. <laughs> Max is greater than Ferrari. That's That's a big one. And then this is kind of a, a big one. The drivers this year in 2022 wore 130 different helmet uh, designs. And uh, that is a uh, courtesy from uh, George, the FCF one uh, on, uh, on Reddit. That is uh, amazing. That is Sebastian just, uh, that Vettelman, is huge. Sebastian Vettel, 14 different helmets this year, Lewis yep. seven, Gasly nine. And what's remarkable about this is if you flash back to the Bernie Eccleston era, he strictly prohibited, uh, helmet variations. I think you were allowed one wildcard race a year where you could wear an alternative helmet. Otherwise yep. you could yep. not express yourself via your helmet at all. Correct. And I also added a quick note in here. Earlier this year in April, we actually interviewed a Formula One helmet artist by the name of Tyler Sinarusa. That podcast dropped somewhere around April 17th. He's done countless professional driver's helmets, including Nicholas Latifi. Highly, highly recommend you go back and check out that podcast. That one was a lot of fun. Oh yeah, that was he was such a great uh, interview. He was such a cool guy to listen to and just listen to his story and and everything that goes into helmet design and some of the different drivers that uh, that he's worked with. Fantastic, yeah, fourteen helmet designs for 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 Seb, but. Some of the other ones that completely kind of flew under my radar, like I noticed that Joe Guan Yu had uh, a number of different ones, but he had seven. That's that's quite uh, substantial you, as well. Did you Lewis have a favorite this year? Probably too oh, many to boy. think of. I'll, sh- I'll share mine to start. Yeah. My favorite this year, and sorry, that was a leading question only because I wanted an excuse <laughs> to share mine, but my, my favorite this year was definitely the Lewis uh, Murakami one. That one was awesome, and I'm desperately oh, waiting yeah. Yeah. For, uh, for somebody to release a one-half scale MIDI variant so I can buy it and display it proudly or, or cart it to every one F race I go to hoping that Lewis will sign it. But some really cool designs this year, and I hope it continues next year. Yeah, you know what? Uh, honestly, sometimes uh, it kind of uh, those things kind of escape me a little bit until like after the fact, and like I'm sort of catching up now that uh, you know, like I had no like I'd noticed throughout the year that Seb had, had different helmet designs, but it didn't occur to me that it was like 14. I mean, that's like two thirds of the races. That, that's just uh, out, you know, out, uh, amazing. But I mean, how far that they've come from, like you say, the Bernie Ecclestone, like you're aware that was like, it was just not a thing that he wanted them to do. And, uh, you know, I, I love that kind of thing. Like if, if they want, if the drivers want to express themselves in that way, I mean, I think that that's great. I mean, I understand the whole thing, like the jewelry ban and like the safety thing, of like nose rings and, and and that sort of stuff. And I know Lewis has kind of uh, had the, the the brush with the with the man when it comes to that sort of stuff and the authorities, just to like on because 
you know, he has his, uh, you know, his differences and is a bit resistant to that for his own personal reasons, which is fine. But, you know, Lewis wearing a chain or wearing the nose ring or whatever it is, that's something that, that we don't see unless he's outside of the car. But we see these guys in the car like all weekend long. And so that's when I love to see these really creative, fantastic, because it's more than a helmet design. Like these are like artwork, some of them, which I think is very cool to see. All right, uh, moving along. Sergio Perez's salary throughout his Formula One career. This is uh, actually uh, pretty cool. So if you look at the the ups and downs uh, with the, the different teams that he's been with. So he started out with Sauber, had a year with the McLaren in 2013, then was at uh, Force India for five seasons till they rebounded his racing point in 2018-2019. Spent the last two seasons with uh, with Red Bull, so now he's at. Um, these are all estimates because, of course, we never do get full disclosures on terms and amounts of uh, salaries. But uh, twenty twenty two earned an estimated eight million dollars uh, this year with Red Bull. Last year was uh, five million. Uh, last year with Racing Point in twenty twenty was estimated six million. First year in 2019 was just about three and a half million. In 2018, when it was still Force India, was five year, uh, five million. And it's really seesawed all over the place. Like he went to uh, started only a couple hundred grand his first year in uh, in 2011. But by the time he goes to McLaren, he's getting two million a year, over four million the first couple of years with Force India, and then boy, he like it's basically halved after 2015. Or 2015, he goes from four million plus to down to just under two million. So interesting to see how his uh, salary when it's a uh, represented graphically like that how it's kind of really like seesawed back and forth but the trend line has been overall in the right direction in his 11 years in formula one thoughts on that one hammy nope you nope (laughs) you did a great job summarizing that i hate it when you do that i hate it when you do that (laughs) only just to contextualize that eight million dollars because i think we talked we 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 referenced that forbes article last week or the week before and that, yeah, a uh, couple of weeks ago. Yeah, that yeah. his 2022 salary is still maybe one fifth of what Max Verstappen is earning, and justifiably so. I, I think he's still a very well paid driver, but certainly not uh, not in the sphere of his of his teammates. Yeah, very very. Uh, <laughs> that's interesting, right? And then this is a cool one that comes from uh, courtesy F1 Charts on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And this is going to be the average age of each Formula One team's uh, drivers at the start. So when we get to to the beginning of the season next year, on the oldest side you have um, Haas. On the younger youngest side you have a uh, McLaren. So at Haas you're going to have uh, Nico Hulkenberg and uh, K Mag. So uh, it's funny, K Mag is only 30 years old. I feel he, like when I see Kevin Magnussen, he feels so much to me like he's agreed. He feels like an old, yeah, an agreed. old 30. Do you, does it does that make sense? Yeah, when totally, I feel he's like an totally. old 30. Yeah, and then uh, the Hulk, he's just um, about 35 and a half uh, years old. So their average age is uh, 33. Now, Aston Martin comes in pretty close at, well, they're actually tied uh, with, with Haas, uh, with their oldest uh, driver lineup, because you have uh, Fernando Alonso, who's 113 years old, <laughs> partnered with Lance, <laughs> Lance Stroll, who's 24 and, and changed. By the way, how Anyways, is I'm Lance Stroll only 24? He's been in the sport for I two know. decades. 
<laughs> I know when I say that like K Mag is an old thirty. I mean Lance is definitely like an old twenty four because I mean he seems like he's been around Formula One yeah. for ages as well. But you know, joking aside, Fernando forty one and a half and and definitely not showing any signs of slowing down in the car. Lance uh, at twenty four and a half. I mean. Ah, man, where does the, the, the time go? But then on the youngest side, you've got Lando and Lando Norris, that is, and um, Oscar Piastri. Lando just over 23 and um, Piastri will be just hitting 22 at the start of the season. That gives uh, McLaren an average age of 22.6. But then, you know, you, you go, uh, we'll, we'll go back up to the top. So you got uh, third place Mercedes, then Red Bull. Alfa Romeo, Ferrari, Alpine, Alfa Tauri, and Williams. It's really interesting, though. I mean, uh, Hamilton just over 38, George Russell at uh, 25. That gives him a 31 and a half year old average for their two drivers. Red Bull, Perez, 33, Max, 25 and a half. I mean, geez, where, where, how did Max become 25 years old? That's, uh, <laughs> that's a bit of a, a mind blower there as well. And then, um, and Science and the Leclerc as well. I mean, they're both in their prime right now. Science is 28 and a half or will be at the start of the season. Charles will be 25 and a half. And again, seems like those guys have been uh, around for a while. It's funny because when I see... When I look at that pairing, like I, I just feel that 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 Carlos is the the older, more senior driver, just because he did have a couple of years on Charles in in Formula One in some of the the, the lesser teams before they paired up at uh, at Ferrari. But again, just like uh, some of these other guys, it's just like how how did uh, Charles Leclerc become uh, twenty five uh, years old? And then uh, Pierre Gasly, Esteban Ocon at Alpine, they're both going to be about twenty seven uh, years old at the start of the season. But then uh, Williams, Alex Albon, 27. <laughs> he looks like he's 15. I mean, that's a bit of a shocker we see. And then Logan Sargent, just uh, 22 as well. So a couple of, uh, you know, fairly young young drivers. And then Yuki as well is uh, only going to be uh, 23 at the start of uh, next season. So a, a very cool statistic uh, right then and there. So then uh, before we uh, jump back into the news, uh, then we have uh, this one. This is uh, via the race.com. So the 2022 share of points, the final uh, results uh, between the, the drivers at uh, each of their teams. So Valtteri Bottas had 49 points compared to six for uh, Joe Guan Yu. Lando Norris, 122 compared to 37 for um, Danny Ricardo. So that's 77% compared to 23 for uh, Ricardo and Norris or Norris. Morrison Ricardo. So it, it really does kind of like even out uh, quite a bit uh, when, let's see, let's go down, let's look at Red Bull. So that was a 60-40 split. Uh, Max Verstappen logging 454 points in 2022 en route to his uh, second world championship. That's compared to 305, only 305 uh, points for his teammate uh, Sergio Perez. That's a 60-40 split. Ferrari a little bit uh, closer. Um, Charles Leclerc came out on top, uh, 308 points compared to 246 for Carlos Sainz, so that's a 56-44% split. And then uh, George Russell and Lewis Hamilton, 275 for George, 240 for Lewis, so that was a 53-47 split, and that was the same at Alpine. Uh, 92 points for Esteban Alca and 81 for Fernando Alonso. Some some pretty interesting uh, stats in there, you know, when, when you look at it. I mean, <laughs> I just uh, when you see like the total between uh, Max and and Sergio Perez, I mean that is just astronomical. I mean over seven hundred and fifty points uh, between the two of them, a sixty forty split uh, between the the share of the points logged. Uh, Daily, very very. I cool, have one cool other yes, sir. fun stat we have to share. 
Oh, okay, go for it. Let's Earlier hear it, this week, and this totally blew up in my face. Earlier this okay. week, the official at Skidaria F1 pod Twitter account put up a poll. Yep. And the poll was, who did you vote for in the midterms? Daily Ooh, yes, bracket yes, yes, independent yes. or Hamilton bracket independent? I am disgusted to say that Daily won the poll 52 to 48. Yes. So I am yes. demanding a recount. Ooh, that's pretty t- <laughs> I am demanding a recount. Stop the steal. I'm demanding the recount. <laughs> so what what is the margin of error in this poll and I, i'm actually i'm kind of surprised that 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 poll was as close as it was you know but uh, oh you're no, so full of yourself. i was that. expecting to win 90 10 hamilton you're lucky you got as many as you did but no it was it was close like that's, that's actually perfect that's cool. that's cool. pretty much 50 50 yeah yeah, no, that's uh, that's uh, that's the way that it uh, that that it should be. I was going to make uh, you know kind of a you know a, a joke about make Scuderia great again, but you know oh. you know that some people find that humorous. <laughs> some people will be offended by that. Move yeah, on. exactly. Yeah, we'll move on. We'll move on. I'll cancel the hat <laughs> order. <laughs> okay, going back to the news, we talked about uh, Bonotto, um, obviously. So let's see. Okay, where's there was a story about um, Ben Suleim. Uh, where did that one go? Maybe you can rescue me here, yeah, Hammy. Yeah, absolutely. So, although, Mohammed Ben yeah. Salam, uh, yeah. who's obviously heading up the FIA, has dismissed talk of a bad relationship between the FIA itself and Formula One, Formula One being kind of the commercial rights group. And this really stems from the fact that there appeared to be a lot of friction between the FIA and Formula One, Liberty in particular, which is the group that owns the commercial rights to Formula One, it kind of manages the business side, does it kind of totally manages the business side. And in the last couple of years, there've been a couple of fairly high profile clashes between the two of them. Um, obviously, the outcome in the outcome in Abu Dhabi last year was certainly one of them. Liberty was very unhappy about that. Uh, there was the uh, intense desire by Formula One to shift to six sprint races for this current season, the season that just lapsed. And the FIA pushed back saying, we need more time to study this. We need more money. And they ultimately settled on three. And I think that left Liberty very upset as well. But Mohammed bin Salam has come out and very clearly stated in no uncertain terms, that the relationship between the two of them is in fact very healthy. And I'll pull up the quotes so I can share specifically what he said. But I think that the message here is that especially for new fans, the relationship between the FIA and Formula One has always been incredibly contentious. And I would be very worried if it wasn't very contentious. So the quote from Mohammed bin Salam, I just pulled it up here. I can pull it, read it now. He's like, I'll tell you my relationship with FOM. First of all, I speak to Stefano, I think every two days. If I don't call him, he calls and this is the way. Even before any meeting or before any decisions, it's a marriage. This marriage is going to last and strongly. Furthermore, this article from motorsport.com continues. And I quote, Ben Salam reckons that the sprint race delay, which triggered accusations of quote unquote greed from the FIA and chasing more money for hosting the events was the catalyst for the idea of trouble between himself, the FIA and FOM. But he is adamant, Ben Salam that is, but he is adamant that there was nothing nefarious behind the delay beyond him wanting to check that the FIA personnel on track had the capabilities to successfully police extra sprint race daily any thoughts you've been watching formula one for decades since at least the early 90s the idea of clashes and a little bit of friction between the fia and formula one's commercial rights body certainly isn't anything new 
No, definitely, uh, definitely not. I mean, at least from the outside, it seems like it's it's not nearly as as sensitive or as touchy as it was in the past. I mean, it seemed in the bygone years, whenever there there seemed to be a little bit of uh, contentiousness between the like the, the the both of them, it seemed like there would be talk, especially Ferrari would threatened to take all their toys and go home and set up their own rival yes, league and yes. stuff like that. And I mean, so, I mean, where we are, I mean, th- I can't imagine that it'll be completely frictionless all of the time, but it just it seems to me it's not as, you know, as, you know, sensitive, like I say, as it has been in the past. I mean, and I go back to just a couple of years ago, they reached a new Concord agreement. They came to a salary cap um, discussions and, uh, and, and, and got that all rounded out in the middle of an unprecedented pandemic right. when nobody knew what, what, what was going to happen literally a week or a month down the road. But somehow Formula One was able to get together and, and take care of all these things. So that, that is just a, one of them. So that, that's kind you, of amazing. So, you could argue that yeah, maybe the relationship has never actually been better because you're absolutely right to hammer out a Concord agreement, a Concord agreement with massive revolutionary changes such as stricter regulations and a cost cap. That was, that was absolutely remarkable. And ultimately I think it's key to remember as well that the, that the FOM Liberty, their role is to push the boundaries of how they can maximize revenues and profitability associated with the sport. Sometimes it's the responsibility of the FIA to push back and make sure that they mm-hmm. are the guardians of, of safety and integrity on the track. So naturally, they're, they're pulling sometimes in different directions. Um, and I think yep. it's okay that there be a little bit of friction there if the FIA is pushing back because, hey, we need more time to study, execute executing six sprint races because we need to make sure we have the personnel to deliver that experience safely. That's an okay thing. And if the if FOM is pushing that, hey, we need sprint races because we need to grow the sport and they can come to some sort of um, compromise, then that's an okay thing too. So I think that they have different responsibilities and naturally they're going to pull in different directions sometimes, but ultimately it seems like more often than not, they land in a pretty good place. Yeah, and, and I think that's the key, right? I mean, you're never going to see eye to eye like when you have two different bodies like that. But I mean, if they're working together somehow towards like the the, the same common goal, then sure, there's going to be some different differences along the way. I mean, there's going to be a differences of opinion or philosophy, whatever, whatever it might be. But I mean, if they can get together and and overcome these differences, then ultimately that's uh, what what it's about because it's not really either one's uh, you know like role to be, you know. I mean, it's, like I say, it's it's never going be frictionless so there, there's bound to be some conflict at, at some point and like you say that's not necessarily a, a bad thing okay yeah you know just one one other thing before i was about to jump to the next one i was just uh, i thought it was kind of an interesting one but i just couldn't help but feel that i don't know where this one came from but it just kind of had the feel of like somebody trying to make news that wasn't news this week but you know maybe that's just me being conspiratorial in <laughs> my thought um anyways let's take another quick break when we come back we're gonna we talked about saudi arabia a little earlier well uh, saudi chicken sandwiches so now we will talk about actual formula one racing in saudi arabia and we'll do that in just a moment so don't go away we'll be right back 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, welcome back to the podcast. And yes, time to go back to uh, Saudi Arabia. Well, at least sort of. We're not physically going, but we will go there in spirit. And uh, Jeddah, the Corniche circuit, is going undergoing further track changes before the Grand Prix in 2023 to try and improve safety at the track. And this seems to be like an iterative process. We've already had two races in uh, Jeddah, and they came fairly close together. One at the end, uh, towards the tail end of the 2021 season, and then we were back to, to Jeddah again very early on in this uh, season. And the the, the first uh, running at uh, Jeddah was marked by a whole bunch of very spectacular incidents on the track, and a lot of comments uh, from, from the drivers, even before they got there, before they actually uh, raced around it, that even though it looked like a very spectacular and very fast uh, track, there was a lot of concerns for the for the safety and uh, all the things that could happen, which played out in large part of that very first uh, edition. So that led to a lot of changes uh, after year one, and they didn't really have a lot of time to turn it around. When was, uh, do you remember offhand, Hammy, when we went to, to Jeddah this year? December 2021, right? Like ve- right at the was, beginning of December. 21. Yep. Yeah. And when we were there this year, was it April March. or March? Yeah, it, March. It was, it was yeah. It was pretty, pretty, pretty early on in the season. So they did a substantial amount of work uh, to to get it all sorted out. But then, I mean, now they basically have a year between both, uh, you know, between the last uh, race in Jeddah and before the next one. And, and of course, eventually they are going to move on to another uh, a, another facility away from there. But it's 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 popular with the drivers, but there is a real concern about the lack of runoff areas because, I mean, we, we've seen it. Uh, we've seen a lot of crashes there and we all remember the very spectacular one that uh, Mick Schumacher had this year that actually forced him out of the race I mean number one he completely destroyed his car and you know fortunately he was okay but uh, he did have to, to to sit that one out so uh, Hammy what is the work that they're exactly going to be doing there I know that they're doing some uh, some work around some of the different uh, turns to adjust uh, sight lines and, and and basically visibility yeah I'm going to quote this right out of racer.com because I think they can do a, or think they do a better job Job of articulating the changes. And before I do, I, I just want to add that I think this is really good. And you and I talked a lot about this because we were actually podcasting at the time, but there was an awful lot of yep. criticism from the drivers after the 2021 event, in part because it's an incredibly fast track, but also because there's so many blind corners. And the fear not being that the drivers couldn't react to the corner, but rather they didn't know or couldn't react if there was an incident beyond that blind corner. So Big changes for 2022 when they turn those around in just four months. Sounds like there's going to be big changes again. And again, quoting from racer.com here, uh, after some minor changes were made last year's discussions with F1, the FIA and the drivers has resulted in further work being done to address sight lines with the walls at turn 14 and turn 20 being moved back to improve visibility. The turn 22-23 section has also had work done to move the wall and update the curbing with a beveled curb introduced that is designed to slow drive 
drivers down by approximately 50 kilometers an hour for our American listeners. That's 31 miles per hour. Rumble lines have also been added at some corners to slow cars by shaking them and causing them to lose traction. And I quote here, this is also in the article, but the evolution of the Jetta Corniche circuit continues apace and we are excited to add these further tweaks to our magnificent track as a result of positive consultation with the FIA. F1 and the drivers, Saudi motorsport company CEO Martin Whitaker said, the previous two races here in Jeddah have already confirmed the JCC as the world's fastest and most exciting street circuit, and these new developments will only add to the spectacle that fans can expect to see next March when F1 returns to our city. Jetta. It is vital for any circuit to listen and learn from those racing on it and use their feedback to grow and improve at all times. We are confident that these changes will lead to even faster, more exciting, and crucially safe racing. And we can't wait to see the world's greatest drivers battle it out here under the lights again in 2023. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, something needs to be done. And I really love the attitude that they're they're really open and uh, and willing and actually get this uh, done being a little bit uh, proactive to the to the feedback that they're getting from 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 the drivers. Now, sticking with the street circuit uh, theme, uh, Max Verstappen had a couple of things to say about um, about street circuits and uh, I could read a little bit to, to you in Dutch. It comes from a Formula 1.nl. Formule 1 auto's zijn daar echt niet voor gemaakt. Ik vind het stratencircuit totaal niet leuk meer. Met de oude auto's was het nog wel te doen, maar nu... Anyways, I'll uh, translate. Um, <laughs> Thank anyways, you. Max was... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was looking to change the so language be- like this was Netflix. Oh, the the, the translate. Yeah, no. Uh, so uh, what, what Max is basically saying is that, uh, that uh, he did... Um, He's not enjoying racing street circuits uh, anymore. Uh, so he, he said that the, the, the new cars that uh, debuted earlier this year, they're just not designed or made for, for street uh, circuits uh, anymore. Um, the, uh, because, um, let's see, uh, what, uh, what did he have to say? So, well, basically he says he doesn't like it. He said that in Monaco and Singapore, he was really super disappointed uh, just to how the car like, was going through the, uh, going around the circuit too heavy, very stiff. He can't take the curbs anymore. He said that the, that these uh, cars are just not built for, for street circuits and basically said, yeah, they, they look great for, for photographs, but they're not uh, made for, for, for racing anymore. So th- that's interesting. That's not really a take that we've heard from any other driver th- this year. And I mean, I I think we talked about it. It would have been about a year. I think it was for the Monaco Grand Prix last year. Remember, there was a, there was a graphic that came out that kind of showed the evolution of uh, the size of Formula One cars over the, the the decades, and it was really amazing when we saw a, a Formula One car from 2021 compared to a car even 10 years ago or 20 years ago, and even further back. Just how much longer and wider that these cars are now. And then, of course, this year we saw a complete uh, reboot of the formula, uh, more more or less. And uh, but but Max Verstappen was uh, saying that you know basically even though that these cars before this year were still very big and 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 wide and long and all that, they you know you could still drive them. They were still you know able to to race fairly good uh, on a street circuit. But now he thinks it's uh, just uh, impossible. So other than being a good photo op and maybe a bit of a spectacle. It's just uh, not there anymore. 
And uh, Max, certainly not one to hide his uh, true uh, feelings. Okay, next story. So uh, Red Bull, uh, according to Zach Brown, um, the the move of the Australian to Red Bull from uh, from McLaren as a, as a reserve driver for 2023 offers him the best chance of an instant comeback, according to his former boss, CEO of uh, McLaren. Zach Brown. So he figures that, uh, in his own words, that uh, Ricardo could turn his Formula One career around on a dime. Uh, I I don't know. What am I missing here, Hammy? Because I think that, you know, I I think that uh, Zach is being quite flattering towards uh, Ricardo. And certainly he's going to a big team, even as a role as a reserve driver. But can he really pivot on that and then turn that back into an instant drive again for 24? I don't know. Maybe. But it's it's an interesting take from Zach Brown. It's also interesting that that take is in fact coming from his previous uh, his previous boss uh, at McLaren, who of course helped yeah, exit yeah. him early from his contract. <laughs> so it's it's nice to say yeah. he suddenly has supreme confidence in him. Not as though they didn't give Daniel Ricciardo every opportunity to be successful in that Mercedes powered McLaren. But I do agree, and I think you and I have talked about this so much that the worst thing that Daniel Ricciardo could have done if he aspires to drive a Formula One car again full-time, the best possible thing that he could do was position himself as a reserve driver at a world-class organization. And there was presumably, reportedly, an option at Mercedes, and there was an option at Red Bull. And to be around a world-class organization, spend time in their sims, spend time in their garage, spend time looking at their data, get some testing time in the car, this is the best thing that he could do for his career because it keeps him relevant, it keeps him in the paddock, and it keeps him front of mind. And like... Like Zach Brown says here, if if there is an instance where one of the two drivers, either Max or Sergio, can't drive for any specific reason, it gives him the opportunity to contend and compete in a Formula One Grand Prix driving one of the best race cars on the planet. Like that is the best possible, the best possible scenario for Daniel Ricardo versus being in a broadcast booth or maybe competing over in, in Indy in a very different class of open wheel racing cars. So I think this was a very smart move. I would have been equally as happy if he went to Mercedes. And like I said last week, this is a great fit for him. And it's an exceptional marketing move for, for Red Bull themselves. Yeah, a hundred percent. Okay, moving along, the uh, race organizers in El- uh, in Melbourne for the Australian Grand Prix are rethinking or redesigning the uh, seating for the uh, for the Grand Prix there after they drew a record crowd over the four days at last year's uh, Grand Prix of four hundred nineteen thousand uh, fans, which is a uh, that's an all time record for the uh, Melbourne era of the uh, the Australian Grand Prix, and uh, that that's uh, that's kind of cool. And but I mean that's not the only only race that we've seen this year that has been broken attendance records. We we've seen it throughout 2022. All across the calendar, un- man. All across the all, calendar. Exactly. Austin was a big one. They yep. added grandstands this year, specifically as a reaction to the demand for tickets. They're expected to add grandstands next year. So it's not a surprise that that Australia is looking to maximize on that demand. And if you talk about an ASP or an average selling price of a ticket in the thousands, or not the thousands, in the hundreds of dollars, if you can add 5,000 tickets, that's a huge windfall of incremental cash at little added cost to the event. 
Yeah, I, I mean that that's a very very good point because when it comes to putting in more temporary seating, that is, you know, uh, it's not cheap, but I mean, relatively speaking, I mean, you're you're going to get a good return on uh, the extra money that you invest in putting that seating in. But it's just sort of fascinating, isn't it, uh, Mark? When you see these record attendances that we saw throughout the year, it wasn't just limited to to one particular geographic region. It wasn't say limited to say the European races or the Asian races or the North. America, it, we, we saw it across the board from, you know, right from the very first race right to the very end. And it was something that we saw throughout uh, the, the year, which was very, very uh, cool to see. Um, next one I have here. Uh, where did it go? It was about Fernando Alonso and Esteban Alcon. Basically, I think Esteban was uh, saying that uh, Fernando did, what, 2% of the work Ooh, or something drama. like that? Uh yeah, drama. <laughs> no kidding, right? So there, yeah, for, for um, uh, Esteban was being a little bit critical about his former teammates. What, what did you take it a little bit further from there? Yeah, so I'm going to pull up the quote because I thought this one was a little bit spicy. And of course, uh, let's let's take this back a couple of steps because I think this conversation and these quotes require a little bit of context. And it's probably not something that's going to surprise, not something that's going to surprise a lot of people. But of course, Fernando had that shock, as the British press would say, that shock exit from Alpine halfway through the summer when he announced uh, to the shock and awe of everyone at Alpine that he was going to Aston Martin for the 2023 racing season. Uh, Of course, following that with some tremendous drama. But Esteban Ocon now is airing some laundry about what had happened during the season. And I quote here, and this quote's coming straight out of Racing News 365, it is true that I was disappointed by what Alonso said in the press, but kept to himself internally. He said in an interview with Ou France, I still respect him, but it is good that he is going to Aston Martin and that we each go our way. To be honest, he continues, I did 98% of the work and he did 2%. I was overworked. I did all the development work in the simulator and I also did all of the marketing activities. Uh, He continues when asked about his uh, forthcoming partnership with Pierre Gasly. We've known each other for a very long time. The first time Pierre got into a cart was mine. We drove together on the same circuits in the same races. We had a dream to drive to get an F1 and that made the dream come through. So it's interesting because of course, there's a lot of speculation about the relationship that Akon has with Gasly. But to back that up, it's also interesting that Akon is being so transparent about the relationship that he had with, with Fernando Alonso. And I think it's really important to, to kind of appreciate that what we see from the drivers in terms of the work that they put in, which is really practice qualifying and the Grand Prix, that's really just kind of the tip of the iceberg. And all the work that they do is what we don't see, which is the sheer amount of travel, the marketing appearances, the time they put in the spin sim, the time that they put in in the garage debriefing, working with their engineers, the time that they're in the gym, the time that they're putting in their cardio. And basically what he's saying here is like, look, Fernando was basically showing up on a Grand Prix weekend and hopping in a car. I was doing all the marketing appearances. I was doing the sim work. I was doing the dev work. And it's just as well he's gone off in his own direction. So I think Akon's probably hoping that the responsibilities will be better shared between him and Gasly. But it'll be interesting to see if Lance Stroll is willing to pick up the slack at Aston, Aston Martin in the absence of Sebastian Vettel. 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting, right, just uh, to watch uh, Aston Martin uh, next year because uh, this actually uh, leads uh, nicely into our next uh, story because uh, Mike Crack, the team principal there, says that they are on track to meet their uh, or on target to meet their five-year plan, but they're going to have to take a big step forward in uh, 2023. So, I mean, I, I think that is, uh, you know, that's a very good uh, admission from from Crack. And I mean, they did struggle this year, but I mean, I think they're one of the more improved teams that we saw. Uh, over the course of uh, 2022. I mean, if you look at where they they kind of started from, I'm just looking at the stats here. So Sebastian Vettel, I mean, of course, he didn't race the first couple of races because uh, you know, we had COVID, um, but he finished uh, the last uh, in the last uh, six races. He had, was in the, the points uh, four times. And where's his uh, teammate, Lance Stroll? Yeah, Lance, not quite so good in the same stretch. He only had uh, three uh, points uh, finishes, but you know they, they definitely improved in the second uh, half of the season. Maybe even a little bit uh, before then, once they, uh, you know, they got their new car, or they they got all the uh, development parts on there, and they started getting the car where they wanted to go, and they started understanding where things are. But they really do need to take a big, big step uh, forward if they want to become the team that you know they they said that they intend to be. So you know, meeting targets is one thing, but you know you're gonna have to deliver on the track at uh, at some point. So I, I think this is a team that has disappointed both of us the last uh, couple of seasons. Perhaps our expectations, Mark, were a little bit too much uh, too soon. But um, I, I think now that I've seen this quote from Mike Crack, I think I'm going to be watching them a little bit more closely next year, if that's at all possible. What about I, you? I got to say, I very much appreciate how how consistent Mike Crack and Lawrence Stroll have been about this journey. And, you know, even going back a couple of years, Lawrence Stroll has been very clear when he's been interviewed, which is relatively seldom, but he's always been very clear that this is a big build. And of course, earlier this week, Aston Martin also unveiling the progress on their 200 million pound factory that's being built immediately adjacent to the Silverstone racetrack. But both he and the other leadership and Aston Martin has been very clear that this is a long-term build and we're building towards sustained success over a long period of time. All of that said, though, I was incredibly disappointed. And I think you and I had high expectations going into 20. We had high expectations going into 21. We had high expectations going into 2022. And we were significantly disappointed this year. It'll be really interesting mm -hmm. to see what type of progress they make on the track next year. And it'll also be really interesting to see the driver dynamic between between Fernando Alonso and Lance Stroll because I, I'm one of those guys that's been on Lance Stroll Island for a very long time, but my patience is wearing a little bit mm -hmm. thin. And if Fernando starts running circles around him next year, I think that for the first time maybe in his career, there'll be significant pressure on him to deliver because when you're, when you're competing at the back of the midfield or even even lower. Uh, there's not a lot of pressure when people generally acknowledge you don't have a great car, but if you have a good car and your teammate suddenly starts out competing you, then it starts to put a lot of pressure on you. But yeah, you're right. I think we should see a significant step forward this year, not competing for race wins necessarily, but they should be in a position to score a couple of podiums next year. 
Yeah, well, it's interesting that just going back to the uh, the head-to-head um, uh, graphic that we saw, right, uh, a little bit earlier on. I mean, uh, Vettel scored 37 points compared to 18 for, for Lance Stroll. So, I mean, there was a 67-33% uh, split in favor of Sebastian Vettel. Okay, well, that doesn't sound like a lot of, like a huge point difference, right? So, I mean, 37 to 18, I mean, who really cares? But, I mean, what the uh, where it really sort of comes and sort of smacks you in the face and cold stark reality is if you look at how sebastian scored those points he had 15 top 10 finishes in 2022 compared to only three for lance and a couple of times uh, you know i think uh, seb's uh, best uh, finishes i think he had a couple of six uh, did he have any higher than that no i don't see anything higher than that compared to lance his best uh, finish was an eighth and that was at singapore in the same race uh, sebastian scored a six so you know it it, it seems kind of uh, interesting when you see it uh, put together head to head like that okay so uh, formula one's uh, aero plans for 2026 could in- include a reverse drs oh Hammy, what the Kate, heck is a I, I reverse gotta DRS? I got to talk. Don't answer. Don't answer. You, you can answer in a second. We're going to take a quick break, ah, and then I'll let you do the it then. This is the ultimate tease. Ultimate <laughs> tease for me. It is. It is. And I'll let you do it in just a moment. So don't go away. All right. Welcome back. Uh, I think that was actually quite, quite not nice of me. That was very, very nasty of me to 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 get you all jacked up like that, and then to to uh, to put the brakes on like that and cut to a break. Anyways, I should have uh, maybe been a little bit more tactful in how I did that. Anyways, so reverse DRS, Mark. I know you're all over the tech when it comes to Formula One. What is reverse DRS? This is interesting to say the least. Yeah. So this is this is really fascinating, and I'm, I'm watching my computer in the background because I'm having some technical issues, and I fear I won't get through this rant. So if I put my hand up and start waving, it's because I'm having a technical issue. But specifically, this is more a bigger story about a concept called active aerodynamics. And currently, with the exception of the DRS system, Formula One cars have static aero, which means that when you start a race, your aerodynamic features, the aerodynamic features of your car are fixed, which means they don't change. The only exception to that, of course, is the DRS system, which is the flap in the wing that opens or closes to add or reduce drag. And of course, that's a system that was added, an artificial system that was added uh, a number of years ago to help promote overtaking and create better racing in terms of a general spectacle. Now, Now, this is where it gets interesting. So the FIA, Formula One, are now open to the idea of adding or looking at adding something called active aerodynamics, which is aerodynamic functionality that lets a car effectively change its shape based on its position in the track. So sometimes cars have features that create a lot of downforce in a corner, but might have the opposite effect in a straight and create drag. So the idea being that this, this, I would say, um, active aerodynamic functionality would allow cars to effectively change shape. And I'm probably speaking too too literally, but it would allow them to change the aerodynamic features of the car on the fly. So this is very cool, very cutting edge. It's something that they've been capable of doing for some time. It's very costly, very difficult to implement. It adds a significant amount of complexity. So maybe it doesn't work with a cost cap. But the bigger fear here is the idea that it could be used to introduce something called reverse DRS. 
meaning that what they could effectively do is force a car that might be leading a race to add additional drag to their car via this active aerodynamic. So if I'm Max Verstappen and I'm pulling ahead, I'm two, three, four, five seconds ahead, they may add a feature or enable some functionality in the aerodynamic features of my car to add drag to intentionally slow me down to allow the rest of the field to catch up. So I have some thoughts on this that I'll share, but now that I've kind of described it and set that up for you, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Well, I mean, I think the technology and just the uh, the, the fact that they're able to do that is just, uh, I think it's really, really cool. But I, I just can't uh, help uh, but uh, get the the sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach that this reverse DRS idea is kind of like using the tech, for, I would say for evil, but you know what I mean? They're using it in the way, I, I just feel like it could be implemented in such a better way than rather than kind of like a sort of penalizing somebody because they're they're faster than than everyone else i mean i kind of understand it and you know just in general I, i'm not a huge fan of drs to begin with be it what we have right now or potential do you want to call go as far as call it a mutation of drs to to really kind of influence and and you know and i guess bring cars closer together and give following cars the opportunity to to pass the car in front of them. So I, I don't know. I, I would love that they could get to a place where they, you know, the DRS in whatever form just isn't in the conversation to begin with, regardless if it's reducing drag like we have right now or increasing drag, which is this proposal. Uh, but that that's just me. I, I guess in, in some sense of the word, I'm I'm a bit of a purist when it comes to, to racing. I don't like all these gadgets yeah. and doodads and, Daily, and things like that. I couldn't agree with you more on this, that I think... If you have this type of technology, your time and your energy and your resources have been misspent. Fix the root cause. Fix the root cause of the performance deficit between the top and the bottom teams. I absolutely despise these artificial aids that are designed to override the actual action on the track and create this artificial this artificial competitive parity can you imagine can you imagine being in a situation where you as a driver have done everything right that weekend you have the best pace the best tire management you're out in front you have clean air and this active aerodynamics kick in that creates drag that allows somebody that's having an inferior weekend to catch up to you. Like to me, that's infuriating. And like you, I hate DRS. I get why it was there when it was introduced mm -hmm. more than a decade ago, but I want that gone. I certainly don't want to introduce more of that kind of artificial tankering or tinkering. And, you know, I, I'm very happy because I think Formula E is getting rid of it, but Formula E has that functionality called fan boost, which is basically fans voting online to enable a specific driver to have some incremental power on the track. I thought that was atrocious. And for me, that was a huge turnoff from Formula E that the fans at home could influence the outcome on the race. But again, if a driver's out front and they're in clean air and they're putting a huge gap between them and the rest of the field, fantastic. Good for them. They've earned it. The sport's got to figure out the root cause of how that happened. And you don't solve it by introducing some sort of uh, artificial uh, active dynamic aer aerodynamics that slows the drive. And I'm getting carried away, but I hate it. I think it's terrible, but I do love the idea of active aerodynamics as long as they're uniform across the field, that every team has them and every team can use yeah, them yeah. at the same point on the racetrack. That I think is cool. I just don't know how it's going to be compatible with the cost cap.
Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, like you say, these are very complicated and very difficult uh, systems. I mean, look at the issues that we had uh, this year with uh, porpoising. And uh, I mean, in the end, they came out with a TD to to sort it out. This is what you guys need to do to your cars in order to uh, basically get rid of the porpoising effect. Um, Anyways, I just wanted to to ask you um, about a couple other things. I mean, we're on the record now. We're we're both obviously not fans of a DRS, but but other things that have come and gone in Formula One, like dual axis steering, active suspension. What do you think of those? Because those have all Love been them. banned as Love well. Them all. Love yeah. them all. And I think okay, so I think though it's that slippery. So where, where's the difference? Where, where's the difference though? Like like why are you in in favor of something like active suspension or dual axis steering and not? The um, with the uh, with the DRS. I think they're different things, though, right? Like DRS isn't a driver aid. Um, I, I suppose it is a driver's aid, but I think it's the implementation of that driver's aid. That if it was available to okay. every driver at every moment on the track, sure, fantastic. Because a DRS is in fact actually active aerodynamics. That that is a perfect example of active aerodynamics. It's more about the way that it's being implemented. That if I'm yep. the lead driver. I don't get to use it, but if I'm in second place and within a one second gap in a DRS zone, I get to use it. Like that's not cool. Whereas active suspension and all these other kind of pieces, those are tools and aids that are available to the driver at all times on the track. They don't need to be one second behind somebody else on the track to be able to activate that functionality, right? It's not, it's not like active suspension kicks in when I'm second place in a second behind the lead driver. So I think it's more about the implementation, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. that does open a really, really big Pandora's box uh, of questions, which is what what driver's aid is too many driver's aid and formula one had active suspension 30 plus years ago and they banned it because they have to have this balance between the most modern cutting edge race cars in the world and a really significant role for the driver as a as an individual you can't make these cars they're never going to be easy to drive but you have to have some semblance of skill requirement in formula one and if you have active suspension and you have all of these other tools at their disposal, maybe it just gets too easy to drive a Formula One car relative to how it is today. Yeah, no, that that's fair enough, right? It's just like, where, where's that fine line between, you know, the cars are still challenging to drive, but too many driver's aids make them less difficult yeah. to drive, right? I mean, the great drivers are always going to be great drivers. And I mean, you could throw a Max Verstappen or a Lewis Hamilton or Charles Leclerc out into a shopping cart and they'd still be throwing down like impressively good lap times, like lap in and lap out. It's just like, um, yeah, yeah, where is that line? But no, I, I like the way that you explain that, that the, the DRS as it is now is selective. It's only a, a, available to certain drivers at certain times. Whereas if they all have dual access steering or they all have active suspension it's something that's on the car and it's active all the time so that's uh, i think you explained that uh, nicely and i completely understand and would agree with that uh, point of view oddly enough i guess not oddly <laughs> enough because we, we tend to agree with each other way too much according to our critics okay last story of the uh, the evening this is about um, w series champion jamie chadwick and some news involving her so hammy i know this is uh, something that's uh, really near and dear to to you well but to, to both of us but why don't you tell us what's up with uh, jamie yeah, chadwick so big news so jamie chadwick the two-time defending w series driver uh, appears to have 
have or has signed an agreement to race for Andretti Autosport in the Indy X NXT series. That's a mouthful for me. The Indy NXT <laughs> by Firestone 2023 season. And the Indy NXT, for those that aren't familiar with that concept, was previously known as the Indy Lights series. That is the principal primary feeder series into into India. It's kind of Indy's F2 equivalent. It's not as rich. The prizes aren't as big. The field can sometimes be a little bit sparse. Um, but I think it's a really good place for, for Jamie Chadwick to go. And I think the challenge for mm-hmm. Jamie is none of us really know how good she is. What we know of Jamie is she's an incredibly intelligent, incredibly smart, incredibly dynamic driver that has dominated the W Series for two years. But I think that this racing series will really help to illustrate where she is in her development journey. And it's very possible that we discover that, hey, unfortunately, she's not that competitive. And I think in the spirit of cheering for women in motorsports and crossing my fingers that we're going to have a woman in Formula One in the next decade, that's not necessarily a bad thing because I'm still very confident. And I've said this so many times before, I think that the next female, the next woman Formula One racing driver is out there. I still think she's probably in cart. And I think she's there because I don't think any of the women competing in the higher formulas today in the W series, et cetera, have necessarily had the advantages that their male peers have had in terms of development in their junior series and their karting careers. But I think this is a great step for Jamie because we don't know how talented she is because she's dominated a championship uh, that is relatively new. And I think she's going to go into the N- Indy NXT series. Um, and it's one going to be a massive, massive, massive help in terms of her development because I don't think she was learning anything in the W series, to be perfectly honest. But it's also going to help level set where she is in, in her career and her development journey. But I think even if she's not successful, um, I think it's important to remember and I think it's important to to be cognizant of the fact that she's a great driver. She'll always be a great driver. She just may not be the one that reaches Formula One next. And that that one, that individual, that woman is still out there somewhere. We just don't necessarily know who she is yet. But yes, yeah, she's going to sign up for Andretti Autosport starting next year. So it's going to be super exciting to see how, how her career progresses on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. Anyways, Bark, anything else uh, for tonight? Because I've come to the end of the uh, that very long and extensive show outline that uh, that you've uh, so uh, kindly prepared for us uh, tonight, and I can't really think of anything else I really wanted to touch on this evening. So I think we're we're ahead of schedule, and uh, since uh, we kind of jumped a little bit all over the place uh, tonight, I'm going to spare you the usual, you know, self. Um, what do you want to call it? Uh, well, the, well, basically the begging portion of the show where we ask you to, to, to rate us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We'll spare you all that. So anyways, if you want to get in touch, send us an email at uh, scooteryf1pod at gmail.com or tweet us at scooteryf1pod. As uh, Hemi said off the top of the show, great to see all those uh, you know messages uh, for, for those of you and see that we're in your Spotify unwrapped and where we all kind of rank in that. So that uh, really is uh, wonderful. We appreciate all the support and love as always. And on behalf of myself and Mr. Mark Hamilton, uh, thank you for listening tonight thank you to rocky and daniel and uh, pnw tree uh, everybody else that's in the the, the chat on the live stream uh, appreciate you guys uh, hanging out and spending some time with us uh, this evening and uh, we'll do it again very very soon have a great weekend everybody and we'll talk to you again sometime in the next couple of days bye for now